the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yesterday we had a baptism of two infants in our parish. You'll see them coming up in white with their candles today. And in that baptism service, there's a line that strikes me. It says, these newly enlisted soldiers for Christ, they're joining a spiritual army. In our worldly eyes, they're just little infants, defenseless, not able to do anything for themselves. But in the mind of God, they are newly enlisted soldiers for Christ, entering into the spiritual battle, joining the spiritual army with all of the angels. Last Pascha, we had a whole platoon that came into that army. And God willing, this October, we'll have another platoon. The baptismal service is profound in what it gives to the person who is newly illumined. There's the expelling of the devil. There's the grace that is received. The guardian angel that is received, as it says in the service, wed him or her in life to a shining angel to deliver him or her from every plot of the adversary. And I tell you, having experienced many baptisms, and especially infant baptisms, the infants know. They have a sense of what's going on. They have a presence about them. Because it's the death of the old man, of our desire for sin. And the change is something that, to use a big fancy word, is ontological. This means a change in our very being. The person who comes out of the baptismal waters is fundamentally changed from the person who entered the baptismal waters. A change in the very being. And so we have these newly enlisted soldiers. And I do think of this with our, our new son on the way, that any day there will be another newly enlisted soldier for Christ. John will be his name. He will be enlisted, he will be enrolled. And how many soldiers are enlisted each week in Orthodox churches throughout the world? How many new soldiers in this army? Baptism, like marriage, is a fundamental change in our being. In baptism, there's the death and resurrection, we become a new creation. In marriage, the two become one. Yet in baptism and in marriage, while there's a definitive permanent change, the sacrament is also just the beginning of a journey of transformation. Just as in marriage, the two become one, and then they spend the next years and decades of their life further becoming one. Likewise, in baptism, a person has died and resurrected, and yet there's also a perpetual resurrection that is needed in the spiritual life because that old man keeps wanting to resurrect itself. We have to keep on dying to the old man. And this is where most of us are at. We have experienced the death and resurrection through baptism, and we're on the journey. So where are we? Where are we on that journey? As modern American Christians, we have so many temptations surrounding us. More possessions than princes and kings of old each of us have in our own homes. And with that, all the anxiety that that brings. And then we're marketed more and more things. Think just, I think in my short lifetime, 
how much advertising has expanded and expanded and expanded and expanded. Remember when we were shocked that they're putting ads on the TVs and airplanes, they're putting ads, they're putting TVs at gas stations so they can make more ads for us so that they can tell us about more things that we need. Everywhere, all the time, we are being permeated by marketing. And what is fundamentally marketing? It is to convince us that something that is not a need is a need. That's its entire purpose. If you have a need, you don't need to be told that you have the need. You know it already. And so marketing teaches us everything is a need. Or yes, you want that thing, but you should have this particular one of that thing. And then that one got old, and so get another one of that thing. Everywhere that we go, everywhere on our packaging, we have these packages you get in the grocery store that have pictures of smiling people telling us about how this is the best of that thing and how you should be so satisfied that you got this of that thing. On and on and on. And this world that we're in continues to tell us there's more that you need, there's more that you need. And then there's the words of our Lord in the gospel today. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Now let's make that more applicable because I think most of us might say, well, I'm not trying to gain the whole world, right? So we'll say instead, what does it profit a man to gain the things of this world and forfeit his life? That's where all of us are at. We all face the very real situation of forfeiting eternal life for the things of this life. Or in the near term, never thinking about eternal life and only thinking about the things of this life as though we're going to be immortal in this life. Our Lord is saying something so profound and so important. He's saying, keep your focus on the goal. This life is so short. Will we live a life leading to life, or will we lead a life leading to death? Our life in Christ is a paradox. Death leads to life, and life, as in a worldly life that ignores eternity, leads to death. As our Lord said, for whosoever would take, keep his life would lose it, and whoever would lose his life for my sake will keep it. It's a paradox. And it's a paradox because of our fallen state. We want the things, therefore, it feels like a death to give them up. It's not actually a death. It's not actually a death. It's all life and more life, but it feels like a death because of the things that we want in our life that we don't want to give up. And so in as much as we don't want to give up those things, it does feel like a death. And so our Lord says that that is the path for us. But what self are we ultimately denying when there's this self-denial that our, our life in Christ really requires of us? What self are we denying? It's not the true self of who we really are, that unique and unrepeatable human that God made us to be. Now that self always remains. So when we talk about self-denial or death to the self, it doesn't mean who God created you as. That will never die. And we see that even in the lives of the saints. They're all unique. 
They're all completely unrepeatable because who God made them is unique. So that self is not the self that dies. What is the self that dies? That self-denial means that we are denying the false self, which lives like a lesion, like a cancer upon our existence. It's the old man which we have inherited, the selfish, egocentric person within. This old man, by the way, is the one whom modern marketing is directed at. Last Sunday, Deacon talked about the rise of atheism in our time and what an uphill battle we and our children face. I want to mention an even more dangerous threat, Christianity. Not the Christianity which Christ taught and the apostles lived, but a Christianity that has arisen in recent times, one that says you can be a Christian and still live a normal American life. Yet a normal American life is one that is in constant pursuit of its desires, fulfilling and gratifying needs which are defined as needs by our media. Christianity in America is deeply distorted. This distorted Christianity says that you can follow Christ and also just continue pursuing whatever it is you want, as long as you don't do any of those really bad sins, you're okay. Being a true Christian means that your love is first and foremost for Christ. I remember in one of those Harry Potter movies, there is this mirror that shows a person's fondest desire. I don't recommend the movies, but if you've seen it, maybe you know this scene. A mirror that reveals our fondest desires. What is your fondest desire? Or rather, where is your heart? What do you think about the most? What fills your mind? Pause a moment and think about that. Of the minutes, hours of your day, what fills your mind? What takes up all of your thinking? What brings you the most excitement or anticipation or the most anxiety and fear? What would cause you the greatest distress if you had it no more? The love of Christ? None of us can say that the answer to these questions is Jesus. None of us. The old man is still alive in us. We cannot say like St. Paul in today's epistle, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What lives in me? This is the most fundamental question. What lives in me? What consumes my thoughts? Because that is what I treasure. That is where my heart is. And that is where I place my hope. Today we celebrate an incredible mother and her three daughters, St. Sophia and Faith, Hope, and Love. Their icon is in the young family room there. And you can read about her life, their lives, in the bulletin. But these, this incredible story of faith, of the, all four of them, the mother in her own way, because she does not deny Christ, but furthermore, she does not deny Christ in the face of her own daughter's death. Who of us could do that? We're all taught the greatest, highest standard is to save a life, and especially to save the lives of our loved ones. Did she not follow that? She did. 
because the greatest thing is to grant our loved ones and those around us eternal life, not simply life on this earth. That is insufficient. Eternal life is what we want to be getting for everyone around us. And that was her goal. That was her focus. And so even though her own daughters are being tortured and killed before her eyes, and she's called a martyr, not because she was killed. She wasn't killed. She's called a martyr because of the broken heart that she endured at watching this. And yet, and yet staying true to the faith, seeing what the actual goal is. How many of us seek this? They were, those girls, they were offered financial stability. They were offered that they would be praised and honored. These are the things that we're all seeking. And they were offered that, and they said, no, I will not deny Christ. These little girls. These are our idols of material things and of human praise. And so they said to St. Sophia, just deny Christ, and then you can have your daughters. Don't you care for them? Our children and our loved ones, too, can become idols. Our children and our loved ones can become those that consume all of our thoughts and all of our attention. And it can appear in many ways that this is selfless self-sacrifice. And it has an aspect of that, definitely. And that's the godly part of it. But there's also that other part about what I want in their lives, what I need to see fulfilled in their lives, what I want from them, how I want them to respond. All of these are of the old man, and all of these are of idolatry. My brothers and sisters, we must learn to turn away from the cares and concerns of this life. We cannot be Christians by name and consumerists by our way of life. There is a far, far better life awaiting us, and it never ends. This is the life that St. Sophia looked toward when she and her daughters were martyred. St. Paisios talks about this life in comparison to the next life, and he gives an analogy of a chick in an egg. We have chickens at home, so I know what that's like. Having an egg there, not with the chicken side, but imagine a chicken side of the egg, and the chick is content to stay in the egg. This is what St. Paisius describes, the sadness, the tragedy of that, and that the chick never comes out and dies in the egg. This is our life right here and right now. Just like with a baby in a womb, it's there for nine months and then comes out. Could you ever describe to that infant what life outside of the womb is like? Could you? Imagine. Imagine you could speak with an infant in the womb. What would you say? You can't even begin to describe the beauty, the incredible thing that is this life here on earth. That's exactly the same as right now for all of you. We are all in our womb of this temporary life and we have a birth into eternal life. That birth into eternal life cannot be described. But as a small and meager analogy, imagine that you're just in utero right now. 
That's how meager this life is compared to the next life. This is what we must remember. St. Paul says, Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. No one can comprehend the incredible life that we have ahead of us in eternity. And he says in Romans, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And he goes on a little bit further. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. For we were saved in this hope. And if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with perseverance. How many of us groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting that eternal life, eagerly awaiting that adoption? We must have hope for what we do not see. We must not place our hope in the things that we see, or our concerns, or our cares, or our needs in the things that we see. We must place it in that thing which we do not see, because that's all that matters. Just like we have births and baptisms, we have funerals and death. It's all a part of this brief life here on earth. A little bit longer than the nine months in utero, but not a whole lot longer in the face of things. So may God give us the strength to no longer be Christians only in title, but to be Christians who follow Christ all the way to the end. Amen.